This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now, my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why I've chosen to use their gear above all else, here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Sand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 214. Today I'm joined by my buddy Byron Horton of the Whitetail Experience, and we're talking all things mobile hunting. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. The season here in Pennsylvania has finally come to an end uh, yesterday as of um, recording this on a Sunday, this upfront. Um, so Saturday, the 23rd was the last day here in my in my general area to be out in the timber. 
and I did take advantage of it and get out and hunt the, uh, and, and hunt the afternoon. The, uh, the shoulder was feeling all right to get out. So that was kind of nice. Uh, no deer. Um, it was a spot that I had not hunted at all this year. Um, it typically doesn't get gun hunted. Um, it's actually just a little sliver of public that's in between some houses and stuff. And it's, uh, uh you can't really, you can't gun hunt it. So, um, I slipped in there, uh, expecting maybe there'd be some deer hold, hold up in there. Um, uh, but that was not the, uh, that was not the case. So it was really just kind of a flyer. I hadn't been in there all year. Um, knew it probably didn't have a ton of pressure. The downside of it is, is that it's not really close to, to food. And this time of year, it's near kind of a swampy area. There's, there, there's, there, there's pockets of green briar that are in there. And that's kind of what I was banking on because there's really no significant kind of food source around. It was windy yesterday, cold. Um, I was expecting maybe the deer would get up and, and, and have to move. Uh, but that place was, was a ghost town. One of the reasons why I haven't hunted, hunted it a whole lot in recent past or in this, you know, really this past year was, you know, a lot of times I'm hunting it on Saturdays. Um, just because that's when I can get out and hunt, you know, being a working guy. And, um, you know, occasionally I would get out in the mornings, maybe and hunt it as it got close to, you know, the end of October and so forth. But it's, it's close to some houses and there's one particular guy who kind of his property neighbors at that piece, um, who almost like clockwork at like four 30, um, you know, like around four, four 30, he'll walk his dogs. And there's like kind of this trail that he has that's from his house <laughs> going down to the timber and so what I've tried to do typically is like either hunt it during the week, like in the morning or something like that, which I've done in the past. Or if I am going to hunt it, I try to hunt it on days that aren't going to be great weather days because he won't walk through, at least for at least for evening hunts. Um, so yesterday I was thinking it was windy enough, it was cold enough, it would probably keep that older gentleman out of the timber uh, from walking his dogs. But um, as fate would have it, he walked through at about 4 o'clock with his two dogs. One of them got lost in the brush. He spent some time standing about 50, 60 yards from me yelling for his dog. Um, so at that point the hunt was kind of, uh, kind of blown up and that was, a an anticlimactic kind of close to my, uh, to, to my bow hunting this year. But with that, I'm actually really stoked to kind of get, get on scouting for this, uh, for this season. Um, I got some really, what I hope to be some really cool, good opportunities, um, that potentially will have some decent deer on it. Um, headed to some different areas this year, some different pieces of public that are a little bit bigger, um, more mountain kind of terrain. Uh, so for me, I'm headed north, uh, be up toward the, the Poconos, you know, won't dive into what pieces, because quite honestly, I don't know what pieces quite yet. I'm kind of looking at a bunch of different places, but the goal is to get out there in the next few weeks and start doing that, take the trailer with me, load the dog up, spend some, you know, long weekends there, stay overnight, because it is a little bit of a drive from my house. And I'm going to probably put out a ton of cameras in that general area, um, in, in those spots and, and monitor it from afar. Uh, this season for the most part may end up hunting it a little bit, but really trying to use cameras in that particular area to do the work for me, um, and to make plans for, for future seasons. Um, you know, a buddy of mine, Wilson been on the show, uh, he's hunted one of the, one or two of these general areas in the past. Um, just so happened he ended up hunting close to some pins that I had dropped to want to check out. So he and I are going to do our due diligence and go start to check some of that stuff out. But with that, I'm not going to lengthen this up front anymore, any longer than it needs to be. I do, I will make quick mention, head to my Instagram uh, profile, check out the link in the bio. If you'd like to check out any truth from the stand merch, have sweatshirts, shirts, coffee mugs, a bunch of cool stuff there. And then be sure to head over to skullbrewcoffee.com, especially if you're headed out to do some scouting. We have some kind of travel or mobile uh, coffee, pour over coffee, if you, if you will, that's at skullbrewcoffee.com. Uh, but for today, what we have going on is my buddy Byron Horton from the Whitetail Experiences on. Byron's from Ohio. 
um, hunting a lot of hill country, uh, big woods, uh, mobile hunter, aggressive hunter. Um, he's a fellow that I've known for a while. We've kind of conversed back and forth online. Um, very similar style of hunting as, 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 you know, I like to take, um, he probably falls, uh, more along the lines of the DeQuisto tree, if you will, of, of, of approach, which, you know, we've had Cody on the show before, and I've definitely taken things from definitely have taken things from Cody. And what we really talk about today is just, uh, his mobile hunting style and how he kind of got into mobile hunting. We talk a little bit about the learning curve, you know, and I've talked about this with, you know, Dan Enfold about just, you know, the learning curve for that mobile kind of aggressive style hunting. And, you know, it does take some time to kind of to, to, to understand and get it to kind of to work for you. And you probably have a lot of failures along the way. So we talk a little bit about that. We talk a, lot, a little bit about, you know, who some of his big influences that have been in terms of, you know, turning him on to mobile hunting and, and, and who he gathers uh, information from, as well as kind of his scouting process and what that and what that looks like. So super cool show for you guys today. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truths from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on my, my buddy from the Buckeye State. I'm not sure if he, I think you're an Ohio State fan, so it might not be a great day to be talking to you based on the Alabama game. But anyway, I got my buddy, Mr. Byron Horton on from the Whitetail Experience. What's going on, brother? Hey, man, thanks for having me on. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, Buckeyes with a with a tough one last night, but... but uh... That's all right. We're here to talk deer, not football, right? <laughs> I know. Well, man, my Steelers didn't look much better over the weekend, so I got zero football to be talking about right now. So <laughs> so we will definitely just dive into deer, man. But, hey, dude, I appreciate you making time to come on. It feels like a long time coming. Like We've run in it's, – it's crazy because we run in so many similar circles, and we've we've traded messages on Instagram, and I've followed your seasons and, and, and stuff like that and followed the deer that you've killed, and, and we've traded messages back and forth and just – I can't believe it's taken us this long to actually get together and actually do a podcast. So I'm glad we could actually make it finally make it happen. Absolutely, man. And I, I, I distinctly, Oh, remember discovering your podcast and really watching it just like evolve. And, and, you know, you kind of took on the DIY crowd and, and I really have enjoyed the last couple of years of listening to guys you have on and, and, and Oh, you as a podcaster pulling information from them that has, has helped me or something that I can take to the woods. So yeah, man, excited to be on. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate, I appreciate that, man. So first off, man, let's just jump into it, dude. Cause I, I'm Jones into talk some, some deer hunting. I've had enough like adulting lately with doctor's appointments and shoulders and all that stuff. It's like, it's feeling good just to talk some deer. So before we jump into all of that, give me a little bit of background, uh, about yourself, you know, where you're from, what you do for a living, just so the folks out there kind of know a little bit about you. Yeah, so I'm from uh, Columbus, Ohio, and the day job is uh, I'm, I work in the accounting finance world. And as far as oh, some of the other stuff I get into, obviously with with um, oh, I do some photo video work for for the DeQuistos with Lone Wolf Custom Gear and XOP. Um, I do some editing for for the Whitetail Addictions web show, and then obviously the the Whitetail Experience YouTube channel and kind of social media platform there. And, you know, I, uh, kind of have an athletic background. I, I played college soccer and right after that is kind of when I cannonballed hard into, into the, the whitetail world, always been fascinated with, with deer hunting, even though I got a late start, but, um, that's the, now that's, that's everything to me at this point. I don't, I don't have much, uh, extracurricular activities besides really a little bit of workout and, and whitetails. Yeah, man, I hear you. I'm in the same boat. And you're a relatively new dad, right? That's add that to the uh, resume. 
That is true. Yeah, figuring <laughs> that one out. That's for, that's for sure. Yeah, man. So I'm just cur- I'm always curious, man. Like how how much different was it um, for your hunting season? Like, cause you always kind of like think about it, right? And you're like, well, how's it going to change? Like, I'll have to prioritize this and do this. And it'll, you know, what was the Delta between what you thought it was going to be like trying to make it through a hunting season with like now, a you know, especially a young, a, a, a young, you know, baby, you know, versus, mm-hmm. versus how it actually went. What was that Delta like? Yeah. So it definitely, you know, you have to find all the new efficiencies and the new hacks. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, uh, I, I hit a home run with, with, it was scheduling the pumpkin patch weekend there, like October 8th ish <laughs> on a warm front. Right. Um, and, and I'll be honest, we did have a, a hiccup. I bought an Illinois tag and it was only there for about 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And the wife said, you know, if you're going to continue to hunt, cause I punched my Ohio tag a, l- a little bit early this year. I think it was like October 20th. Mm-hmm. And we had to have a conversation that, that she really needed me there in the evening hours. And so I elected to get up at, at midnight some nights and drive to Kentucky and hunt like till noon down there mm-hmm. and then drive home and be home three or four o'clock. So it, it, it's an adjusting period and I, I'm still trying to figure all that out, but, uh, that is, yeah, there, there, there's a whole new set of, uh, things I have to account for now. Right. It was, I forget, uh, Troy Spooner, I think I had on and he had a really interesting take cause we talked about, you know, he actually works in the finance kind of realm too, which is kind of interesting, but he was talking about whenever he made that transition started having, you know, started his family essentially. And it actually put an increased focus on the time he did spend in the woods to where it's like, he became much more strategic, you know, like he was still doing plenty of scouting and stuff like that. But like when he was going out, he was going out to kill and he was doing it on prime days and he was putting all the puzzle pieces together before he was going, because he's like, I might only get two days in like the next three weeks to be out. So I have to make it count. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. Did you find that, find a similar thing where you were really trying to like tighten down the screws even more so than previously? Um, it was more just uh, uh, understanding the oh the importance uh, of when I did get time. In fact, like another thing I would I did this year that I've never done in the past was was pulling trail camera cards at like five in the morning before the sun would get up. I might not even hunt that day, mm-hmm. but I could pull a card or two and then be driving back. And with COVID, you know, I had to start my day job at at, at nine o'clock. So right. so it was literally it's literally just about finding those most little quick efficiencies. Um, I feel like to, 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 to get all the scouting in, um, cause I'm still in the evolution stage. I feel like of the craft. Right. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that's my, my, my learning curve right now is finding those, those max efficiencies for, for max boot to ground time, time away. Yeah. Um, when you can. Yeah, exactly, man. I think we're all still in that, in that learning curve phase of, you know, development, if you will. I, that's kind of my opinion, man. I think that's the one commonality. You know, and I know you get to spend some time with Cody and those guys. And even whenever I, you know, I talk with him or Andre or, or whomever, you know, the one kind of, uh, red thread that I see with, you know, all these dudes, you know, is that it's just this insatiable kind of thirst for learning the next thing. Like they never think they know it all. Right. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember I was out at the Iowa deer classic the one year. And it was the first time I met Andre in person and I got a chance to talk to him a little bit and uh, we were BSing and we were talking deer hunting and he was listening to me as intently as I was listening to him. And that's the, that was the thing that kind of struck me. It's like, man, that guy and guys like that are always looking for the edge, like anything. 
Like, and, it'll, and they look for it from anywhere. Like brand new hunter, don't care. He might be looking at something completely differently because he has zero experiences, right? And I might be missing the forest through the trees. And that's the one thing I've always kind of picked up on guys that like do it at a high level is that, man, they just, they're humble about it. You know, they know that they're, they have some skills, but they're just humble in the fact that they know that there's always more to learn if they want to kind of continue, yeah. continue to push the envelope. Exactly. Yeah. I would definitely say that's a trend. And, and, uh, oh, a buddy of mine, Justin Hollinsworth says, uh, uh, you know, it's not so, don't get me wrong. The, the last year you killed is, is a good story and a good time, but I'm also really focused on the next year. And when he said that, that kind of echoed with me, um, you know, cause he comes from one of those lines of, of big buck killers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's a straight savage, man. You know, it's like, I've, I've watched some of his stuff. I've listened to him and he's definitely one of those guys where it's, he leaves no stone, no stone unturned. But with that, man, you know, how did you get started hunting, dude? Like, cause I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you played some college soccer and then, you know, you, that was about the time you really kind of jumped in like head over heels into the whitetail game, you know? So how did, how did you get started hunting? Yeah. So, so I had a, a, uh, my best friend in high school, um, his dad had a, a good piece of property out in Coshocton County. And, um, you know, I had grown up, my, my cousins lived in the country and I remember seeing deer run across their property. I'd be like, did you guys see that? And being all fired up. Right. And they really didn't think two cents of it. And, uh, you know, uh, several years later, Mr. Yager, you know, owned the property and, um, my buddy Corey, he said, you want to come to deer camp? And, and I said, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so, so I went down there and they had a nice cabin and he handed me like a, Oh, a hand-me-down overall set with, you know, that was camo, <laughs> like mafia gray washed out. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a shotgun. And, you know, we, uh, we, we hunted that weekend and I saw a few deer and missed, uh, I think two of them just cause I, I probably was just so fired up. <laughs> But, uh, that hooked me. And, and, and the next year it was, uh, sitting on the ground a lot with a, a hand-me-down Horton crossbow, probably from the late eighties or nineties. And, um, that was kind of the, 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 the getting the ball rolling. And then if you kind of, Oh, fast forward a few years to college, obviously like, um, you know, your best friend from high school, he, he moves to a different town or he's right. going to school somewhere else. So it was, at that point, I kind of had to figure it out on my own. And, and so that's when I kind of started hunting some public land and, um, you know, just trying to figure stuff out on my own. And I would say a lot of it came right after college mm-hmm. um, as far as kind of the real cannonball into the, oh, you know, I, I had found some online forums that were a little better, you know, some local like Ohio based forums. And there you could pick the brains of guys that, that were you know, camping in, in, on some of these public lands or, or had, you know, small tracks and were killing really good bucks on small tracks of land. And so like, I would message them and get phone numbers and call people. And, 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 you know, uh, that's when I really started hanging out with my, my best friend, David Ebright, who mm-hmm. kind of had some success early, uh, like right after college, killing a couple good bucks on public land. And, um, you know, he kind of took me under his wing there for a few years and, and showed me quite a bit as far as the, 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 the uh, full season approach, if you will. Right. But that's, that's kind of the start. And, and, you know, the last couple of years uh, have been awesome, really. Um, what but, do you, but, you know, go, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Clint. No, no, I was just going to say, what do you remember most about those like early, early years? Like what's, what are some of the things like when you look back on where, you know, whether you look back on them fondly or were they like, you know, maybe seminal moments of where, you know, not that the bug bit you, but that, 
you didn't maybe quite know what you were seeing, but you were you were starting to be able to tell like some things were starting to make sense, if you will. Do you were there any kind of like moments like that where you were like, okay, I, I get it now, mm-hmm. or I I saw this and now that makes more sense. Yeah, I um, it was funny. It it actually comes on a squirrel hunt. Um, <laughs> mine came, I, on, a, mine so came on a turkey hunt, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I was so ate up with, with just hunting in general that, uh, dude, I used to I squirrel hunt a good amount and, and rabbit hunt. I, I just wanted to be out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was on, I, I was squirrel hunting a, a piece of public land and, uh, kind of just sneaking along with a 22, found some acorns and some deer shit. And I was like, well, I was like, I know there's some squirrels in here cause there was hickory trees. And, and so I was sitting there and sure enough, I had a, Oh, a small four point step out of 35 yards out of a thicket. And I was like, mm. no shit. There's deer here on public land. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, 10, 12 years ago. I didn't right. think I, you know, at that time it, it was, can you, can you get on private land? And I had come from hunting private land. It was, you know, I, I thought deer on public land were like these, these magical unicorns um, exactly. that were only way back in the big timber, you know? Yep. So, t- so that was kind of the moment that, that I said, wait a minute. Um, and, 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 you know, I think, I think it was, it was either that year or the year after is when I bought my climber and kind of started actually really pursuing, um, whitetails on, on, on public. Right. And that's a good segue, man. Cause it, like, the one thing I was curious about, you know, <clears throat> cause similar to you, you know, I, I was on a turkey hunt and this was like, I wasn't even bow hunting yet. Um, I had never even picked up a bow at this point. Cause you know, I didn't start bow hunting until I was probably 30. Um, grew up hunting all my life, but you know, my dad never really bow hunted much. He, he would hunt with a recurve and I've, I've mentioned this in the past, but he would really only hunt with a bow on really windy days or really wet days. That was it. Cause he would still hunt. You know, we, I never hunted from an elevated platform in my life until I was in my thirties. You know, we always ground mm-hmm. hunted and still hunted. And, and so I was actually on a turkey hunt with, with some family and you know, I, <laughs> I mentioned this story before, so I can't tell any untruths here. I'll get caught. I was hung over from drinking too much, too much bourbon the night before. And I went down <laughs> and laid in, in, and was in the woods like early in the morning for uh, a, uh, it was a fall turkey hunt and I passed out in the woods and I woke up and there were, and there were deer chasing <laughs> right, right around me, like within like 30 yards. And I'd never seen growing up in Pennsylvania, high pressure, you know, high pressure state. I'd never seen deer actually move without being pushed or running for their lives. You know, I'd never seen that before. And so I was talking to this old timer that's friends with my father-in-law and I was like, man, I saw this happening in the woods and, you know, these deer were chasing each other. And, you know, I didn't have anyone teaching me about rut or anything like that when I was growing up, we didn't have cable TV. So I'd never seen like a Drury video, like nothing, you know what I mean? Like I never saw any of that. Like it was all foreign to me. And so my father-in-law's buddy, who was a big bow hunter, like we just started talking and he was explaining like the rut to me and stuff like that and explaining how deer kind of work and how they behave and stuff, different times of the year. And that was it. Like I was all in at that point. You know what I mean? I was like, it's because my big hook to it was the strategy. You know what I mean? I was like, Oh, you mean I can do this strategically? It's like playing chess. I was like, I'm in, you know? Um, so that was kind of my introduction, man. But I'm curious for you, like when you, when you started making that dive in, when did the mobile hunting kind of aspect of things kind of start to creep into your repertoire? Sure. So obviously when I, I started hunting public land, I was a college student. So, so I really couldn't afford uh, all the, the best gear or whatever. And I wasn't spending as much time 
um, scouting in the off season. And, and I, I had a hundred dollar field and stream climber. Um, <laughs> gosh, I, you know, that thing alone kind of started it. Oh, get me up off the ground, even though it was loud and it, it clanged and it was not user friendly at all. <laughs> but I, I remember, I think it was the first hunt I took it out and, uh, it was kind of near where I'd seen that, that deer while I was squirrel hunting. And, uh, I got about 12 foot off the ground and I, nobody had told me to pitch, you know, the, the bottom side of the, or the, the bottom part of your platform upward because <laughs> right. of, of that tree taper. So I got about 12 foot off the ground and had a deer come by, oh, about eight yards, uh, 20 minutes before closing time. I drew back. And then when I took my head away from the peak to check, I realized it was like a spike buck. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh God. And it was like an eight inch, like two, eight inch spikes. Like you'd have had to burn your buck tag. Right. But came, came right by me. And, and you know, my platform's leaning way down. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that was just such a cool moment. Um, I actually ended up shooting a deer 10 minutes later. I had a doe come by me and, and I was like, Holy, like I thought it was, the, the craziest thing ever because I, I really didn't think I was going to see anything. I thought, you know, public land deer hunting was, was, I don't know. I'd only heard from, from oh, a few hunting mentors that, Oh, it's so crowded that you don't see many deer. That was, that was a moment that, that just like shook me. Um, you know, to, to, to this day, I, I think that was kind of, wow. If you put in a little scouting, cause I had the squirrel scouting from the season before that I'd seen deer come out of this thicket right um into this more open hardwoods um that it was you know the puzzle pieces of a of a better deer hunter were starting to fall in play right um i think that hunt was, was i think it was opening day you know and mm. i was pretty pumped to go kill a deer first first time or first deer hunt on, on public land with that climber and i was just jacked nice man like one thing dude i'm loving about this conversation already is just like i can hear how excited you are like even just remembering the story right and that to me is, um, I, I don't know, man. Like to me, I was thinking this as I was driving back, knowing that you and I were going to, we're going to record tonight. And I was just thinking back on some hunts and, and, and stuff like that. And I think the one thing that I've always kind of appreciated about you was that it was in the, like the memory building, the experience, should I say, I mean, it's in the white tail experience. It's in the name, right? It's, you just kind of embrace the whole experience of it and listening to you talk about, a young buck come through, you know what I mean? And you still remember it that vividly, you know, and still get excited about it. Like I'm the same way. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, man, when I see a doe walk in, like I get excited. I just get excited when I see deer, you know, I was like, I just get that jacked up. I'm like, I was like, I hope I never lose that. I was like, cause that's part of the, that's part of the part that I love is that I get, I have something that I get that excited about. Do you kind of feel the same way? Oh, absolutely. Like even to this, even to this day, you know, it doesn't matter even if it's a doe out there or whatever, like you hear twig snap and see like a leg move under some brush or whatever. <laughs> like you just kept it going. Like it is, it is awesome. I even find myself now, like, uh, the other day I was getting, I was going, I, I scouted, um, the other morning and I woke up at like three in the morning and didn't have an alarm set till five. And I was kind of like, you know, I'm pretty excited to get out there and put a, put a little boost to ground and yeah. see some new stuff. Um, that's I'm just kind of ate up with it uh, at this point. That's it, man. Like, cause I, as weird as it might sound and some people might think it's crazy, but I'm kind of like you where it's, you know, uh, I, I really look forward to scouting. Like that's actually like, I mean, I love the hunt. Don't get me wrong, but man, 
there's just something about going into an area and trying to find the puzzle pieces for the next year or for the next deer, the next year or whatever the case is. Like there's just something I really like about it that I look forward to it. And it's like, I have an anticipation for it almost like I do for the anticipation of like the opening day. If you know what I mean, do you kind of feel the same way? Do you get like that geeked up about it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I get that. <laughs> I don't know if I get that geeked up. You, you, you know, scouting season is, is I, I, if you look at it as, Oh, I, I'm, I'm getting some exercise in, I'm, I'm covering some new ground. You kind of have that, Oh, uh, that, that anticipation of, of what next year could bring. Um, but, but, but yeah, I feel like that in season, you know, that I, you, you don't sit there and toss and turn about where you're going to walk the next day versus, uh, I got a Northwest win. I got three potential ambush points that may work for the buck. I've been getting trail cam picks of, or I saw last week. I, I don't know. I, I, I'd say I'd still lean towards in season. I'm, I'm a little more antsy. Right. Maybe, maybe I'm just excited to use my new trailer. Maybe that's what it is this year. I'm just, I'm just right. ready to go stay in that a little bit more. Um, right. That's like a kid on Christmas playing with his new toy. You know, the trailer's new. Like yeah. if you have a new piece of gear for sure, you, you could definitely do that. <laughs> yeah. That might be where it's coming from. Cause that's this year with the trailer. It's like, I, I can really kind of even around me locally or close ish to me, I can start to expand my scouting now because now I have somewhere I can stay for multiple days over a long weekend and, and be able to cover enough territory to where I'm not, it's not a waste of time to drive it out in one day and have to come back and only have one day on it. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And my dog is my road dog. I always take him scouting with me. He does great in the woods. And so he and I have some trips planned this year to go do some scouting. And I'm looking forward to spending some time with that, with my best friend in the, in the, in the, in the trailer, checking out some new public land. But what's up? So you got into public land, you know, hunting and you're into the mobile thing. And we were talking a little bit about this, you know, offline before we started recording. Cause it's one of those things. I think I probably get some questions about whether it's on Instagram or wherever. Um, and it's the focus of what we talk about a lot on this podcast, but you know, what was, what was the hardest part for you, you know, or the steepest learning curve of mobile, that mobile aggressive style of hunting? What was the, like the, what was the part that just was, you know, the hardest part of the learning curve and what was it that finally clicked that made it all start to kind of make sense and work for you? So I think of a few things. Um, one I'll, I'll touch on just real quick. When I went, Oh, from having that hundred dollar field and stream climber, I remember I, I got my first better job and all I saved up for with it was a, Oh, a, a tree Walker climber, which, you know, was like 19 pounds and it stacked kind of nice. And it had just a little better. And it, it, you know, it was just a little better system. Right. So when I got that, the, the day in and out of, of hunting became significantly easier. So, so I found myself wanting to do that more. Right. But as far as like the learning curve to probably shooting better bucks on a more consistent basis was probably, there's probably two things there, maybe three, I, uh, we'll see what we get to, but mm -hmm. one would be kind of the, the year round approach. So, so now that I had the gear to kind of mobile hunt, even if it was just a climber for a couple of years before I went to stay in six, um, it was having, uh, you know, a good grasp of a few pieces of public with a lot of pins on them, um, where I had put in the, the time in the off season scout. Um, because I think right after college, sure. I had, 
I, ha- I had a little better climber. I was ready to go, but you know, I, I, I hadn't spent season after season putting on oh, the last couple of years. I averaged about 70 miles. Uh, your buddy bow hunting scene always crushes me by like 20. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? I know. I had a goal last year for myself to do like a hundred and I don't think I, I don't think I got there. I think I got to like 60 or something like that. And that was it. Yeah. And, and so that, that was probably one of the bigger learning curves is, is, is and, and, and being detail oriented in that, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I think, I think part of, you know, if you look at guys like Andy May, um, the DeQuistos, like they're, they, they are all detail oriented and in, in killing these, these higher caliber bucks. Um, even guys in, in, in say Michigan killing a hundred inch bucks, if that's the top buck, they're, they're detail oriented. Right. And so like, yes, I have all these pins, but do I have, um, the access routes mapped in there? Do I have maybe all the, the hub scrapes marked on them? It's, it's not something that, that I built one off season. It, it took a few years. And then I would say kind of like the, I don't know if we're on bullet point two or three, but like, this is something I've noticed in the last couple of years that, you know, you do all this off season scouting and you mark like all these great trees and ambush points. But if I look at the last three bucks I've killed, it's all, I have the blueprint, but I make a in season decision mm. on where to strike. Right. And it, that, that, that came from scouting that came from maybe a visual side that came from two or three other things, but it's, 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 it's not falling in love with, Oh, I'm going to kill the biggest buck on this piece of public at this stand location. You know, you don't, you don't mark that essential. You may mark that stand in January, but I think it's something that I've tend to figure out in October, November. As where I'm gonna kill. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That, to- that totally makes sense, man. That's interesting. I, th- I think, um, a, a couple things, man. I think the year round approach like that is like, that's the one thing I, you know, try to impress upon people, you know, if they ask about, you know, the mobile slash aggressive hunting style of stuff, I'm like, you got to love the process or it's just not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. That's the big, that's the bigger thing. And I, I really find that true regardless of whatever it is in life that you want to be good at or have success at. If you don't like the process, because the goal and the outcome and like the achievement is really fleeting. Like that's just a moment in time, right? It, it's it, the equivalent of a football player, right? It, you better love the process because the Super Bowl is just a, a day. <laughs> exactly. Know? Exactly. You, you could be a good high school football player and maybe even a division one player. You know, we've seen guys win the Heisman at the college level and then not be able to crack it in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause they get there and it's just like the work and the process is just too much. You know what I mean? It's just yep. they don't have they don't have they don't have it in them to 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 you know to go the extra mile, you know. So I do think that that to me was like one of the big things for me too was just making it a more of a year round approach. You know, the two big things for me though, man, were um, probably the biggest one. In all honesty, was once I really kind of understood wind and thermals, it it clicked because now I was because I found over the years I was putting myself in in right positions, but at the wrong times or in the wrong winds, or I wasn't giving the deer, the wind enough, you know, just not being confident enough to play the wind that sharply. So that was like a big learning curve for me. And then, yeah, I'm sorry. I would say thermals is definitely, yeah, I would agree. Thermals is another good point. If you hunt hill country and, um, you rewind time 10 years ago, that, that wasn't really well known. So, so I I think that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And the thing is too, is I think the cool point about, 
us having this discussion is that we have a lot of the same folks that we've kind of learned from, you know what I mean? <laughs> over, yeah. over the course of time. And this just kind of goes to prove it. Like, like there's not a framework to you. There's not, I shouldn't say a framework. There's not a lock, stock and barrel approach to this. Everyone does it a little bit differently and you have to do it a way that feels right for you and works for you, you know? And so what, what someone focus, what one person focuses on and becomes like the linchpin for their, their approach may not be the linchpin for another person's approach. It's just about a framework to use of like, these are all the things you need to kind of consider. And the other thing for me, and this was big, was just more trusting and having confidence in my instincts whenever I was reading sign to know that that was the sign to set up on. That was a big thing for me was like being able to trust myself because I've walked by so many places that I should have set up on and just walked by because I was like, nah, that's probably not it. Or there's something better around the corner. And, you know, fear of missing out got me, essentially. Do you kind of feel the same way? Was it a while until you started trusting yourself? Yeah, and, and I think it takes it takes a little bit of a skill set to recognize. And on one piece of public, hot sign may look a, a touch different yeah. um, than another piece of public, or, or a piece in general, just depending on, oh, you know, I, I hunt some pieces where the, there are low deer numbers um, yep. versus, you know, I, I've hunted some pieces that, tend to have a lot of like four pointers or, or, or maybe, you know, 80 inch bucks. And, and so what is a lot of sign in that area could vary. And I think, yeah, I think that's a confidence thing. I think that that's, that just takes time to, to figure out. Yeah. I think it's a great point you make, man, because I think a lot of people will walk in looking for sign and they kind of base it on whatever they're familiar with, whatever there is around their home. Right. And especially if you start traveling out of state, the sign's completely different. You know, I know that there's one big woods piece that I hunt. Um, there's world-class caliber animals in there and we have them on camera and you would swear Fort Corns are making the sign <laughs> just cause it's not big. You know what I mean? It's like, you would never know that those caliber are deer are in that spot, you know, not in a million years based off the sign. Um, so I think that that's a great point is that you kind of have to contextualize the sign for where you're at and what's, you know, what's prevalent or what's, what's common in that area. Um, do you, I'm curious, man, because one of the things that has helped me a ton too was, you know, I, I will go in blind to places pretty frequently and hunt. And this is actually something, this is actually came from our buddy, our mutual buddy, Greg Litzinger. He kind of pointed this out to me because he was like, you know, you get on deer great when you're out of state and you're doing whatever he is like, and you, you had good encounters this year in Pennsylvania. Um, Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. He's like, but I feel like you you, you, you freeze up in Pennsylvania because you almost have too much information and you're trying to kill deer at a specific spot. Going back to what you were saying, like, you don't know where you're going to kill them until like October, November, where whenever I go out of state and I don't scout a spot and I just hunt it and I'm basically freelance hunting it, reading signs, setting up, I hunt a lot more free and I'm just making decisions on the fly based on what I'm seeing. And whenever I'm hunting my home state, I kind of overanalyze things a little bit. I don't hunt quite as free. Do you, do you, how often do you kind of go into a spot with like no information? Is, is that something you like to do or do you usually like to kind of have a roadmap and a plan? Uh, I would say I'm a, a roadmap and a plan, um, 
assuming I'm here in the in the home state, chances are I I, I know uh, so, so, something maybe in there, or I, maybe I I'm, I'm scouting. I I tend not to hunt um, just willy nilly anymore, and mm-hmm. you know it, it's uh, I'm seeing so much more value into even walking, pulling trail cams, driving these roads that that's more valuable than me just throwing a dart. Um, you know, it, 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 to me, I need a couple pieces of information. I'm not just going to go sit an Oak flat to go sit an Oak flat on October 5th. Right. right. Um, no, I totally, know, and, totally agree with that. And, and I would say, I remember the conversation that, that kind of flipped that switch. It had been a couple years ago and, you know, uh, I asked Cody, you know, what are your, you know, where are you going to be later this year? What are you going to, you know, are you going to, be hunting Illinois. And, and he just looked me dead in the eye and he said, you know, I just kind of figure it out when the season's here. Right. And, 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 and the thought of where is the buck, you know, that the caliber you're after at, what is he doing that day? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of resonated with me because here, you know, in the last couple of years, I'd put all these pins all over on X and I was like, Oh yeah, I've got this dough bedding area. I've got this good pinch point. And and a lot of my stuff is probably based around you know, rut activity just because I'm a working man. That's why I take my time. But yep. honestly, you could hunt that best pinch um, on, on a given piece. And, and if there's no buck the caliber you're after, it doesn't matter if like six four-pointers cruise that pinch that day. Right. So, so that's, I remember that conversation. I remember kind of uh, taking it very serious and, and starting to apply it here in the last couple of years and just really thinking in-season scouting is, is number one. Yeah. And honestly, man, that's why for, for me, when I go out of state to hunt, especially, which is why I need to try to maybe hunt more in state. Like I do out of state is very much like that. I may not have, again, to your point, working guy, you know, don't have a ton of time, especially if I'm going out of state, I may or may not get the opportunity to go scout it. You know, like this year in Missouri, Mm -hmm. I had no chance to go out and scout it. So every day was just walking the piece and figuring out where the deer were at, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just reading the sign and figuring out where I need to set up based on what I was seeing, which yeah. is just a really freeing feeling to, to do that. And it's a little nerve wracking too. You know what I mean? Because I remember similar conversation with Cody, you know, he, and this kind of helped me with figuring out how to prioritize the sign whenever I was hunting like that without having an opportunity to scout an area was that, it's that confidence factor of like, if you don't think you're going to kill a deer there, then why you, why you set up, you know? And so there's been plenty of hunts where it's like, I just ended up walking the entire day and did not find one thing that I wanted to set up on. Um, cause there was more value in me walking than there was sitting, you know what I mean? And I will say you can sometimes do some dart throws and, and, and do okay. Especially on out of state hunts. Say it's a morning, (laughs) you just got there. You want to hunt you could dart throw on like a hogback or, or a good terrain shelf, you know, a, yeah. a third of the way up. And, and, um, you know, if, if terrain will dictate movement and, you know, deer bucks are tend to be moving a little more in the rut. Sure. Like I've had, I don't get me wrong. I've hunted out of state where you got to throw darts and then you can scout once the sun comes up or whatever. Right. Um, I do, I, I, I do that a little more out of state, at least as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Cause it's almost a requirement just based on the familiarity with the piece potentially. Right. Cause I'm, I'm similar to you where, you know, if I can have some information, I want it and I'll prioritize scouting over hunting. And I think that's the one thing I've, you know, over the years of doing this show and having the opportunity to talk to a bunch of, you know, great dudes is 
scout way more than you hunt. You know, so even if I am going to go out of state and I'm going to kind of freestyle a hunt, it's I might spend the entire first two days scouting before I ever set up anywhere. You know, and I'm just trying to learn what the hell's going on before I waste a bunch of hunts. But you're right. You can go and set up somewhere, especially during rut and, you know, get lucky, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, between you and I, I ain't that lucky. So <laughs> that ain't happening for this guy. You know, it's it's going yeah. to be, it's gonna be yeah, a great I, day. I, 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 I passed a buck in Indiana on a dart throw that maybe I should have shot. <laughs> and, um, I know you, you talked a lot about, uh, this year being a, a, a ground scouter. It's funny after that first trip in Indiana, I had a buck encounter on the ground, but, uh, Dave and I, my hunting partner, we compared notes and it's like, dude, if we go out of state to a place we don't know, we said, we're almost better off to at least spend half the time on the ground. And then, um, this year in Kentucky, my, you don't get me wrong. I threw some darts. I think the two better bucks that I encountered, I think three bucks over kind of a, we'll call it one fifteen plus mm-hmm. were all encounters on the ground. Yep. And they wouldn't have happened if I'd have been in a stand because I started the day in, in stand location a, and it, it's because I decided at, at, at two hours after daylight that I needed to go for a walkabout. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent, man. It's, it, it was similar for me. It was the, the first piece in Missouri was on the ground. I had I spent the whole first day scouting, until the evening, so set up in between two cut bean fields, probably about with two hours of daylight left just to set up and kind of observe. And we had some scrapes and some hammer rubs in that area that just looked like they were the best stuff we had found that day. Um, there was one other area that we found that was pretty good, but I felt like it was more of a morning setup and I didn't want to burn it that evening. And so we ended up going back in there the next morning on the on the ground. And that was where we had encounter with three different bucks that morning. Just couldn't get any of them to stop. They were all you know, they were all running. And then the last spot in Missouri about got run over by a big deer on the ground and then ended up still hunting back up on him to 40 yards and just couldn't seal the deal on him. Um, and those were both just, you know, ran into deer because I was walking, you know, and it was like, Oh, mm-hmm. here, here we go. You know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Like we walked into them. This is where they're spending time. Let's hunt it. Um, I think that's a big thing that people don't, you know, I'm curious your answer to this, man. And again, you know, I picked some of this stuff up from, you know, whether it's Cody or whether it's some of the guys from THP or whatever. But sometimes if I'm on a new piece, especially if I'm on a new piece, I might just do a walkabout and see if I can't jump deer and try to learn just where the deer are at and not really care that I'm pushing them. Do you, you, do you kind of feel similarly or do you take a different approach? Um, I guess if it was a new piece, I'm not a, a opposed to, to bumping deer and learning it. Um, that that yeah, and that does happen. But but yeah, I'm I'm not afraid to walk some and, and still hunt, especially when conditions uh, allow for it. I, right. Oh, uh, I I I listened to or watched a lot of Zach stuff, um, especially when he's in Ohio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, you, you you know he they ran into situations where where uh, oh, they had really dry leaves and, and it hadn't rained in, in a couple weeks. And they kind of morphed to their, their normal walkabouts to more of a still hunt and, and more of a stump sitting game really. Right. So, so yeah, I, I'm not opposed to bumping gear, but I'm also like, if the day, if conditions are best for still hunting, let's, let's, let's walk for right. sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Again, I think, you know, the moral of the story here is a lot of this stuff is contextual, right? You got to kind of roll with whatever the, what, what the day is going to give you. And that's from deer movement to, you know, weather conditions, whatever the case is, you have to kind of take all that into consideration as you're, you know, planning your approach. But man, I'm always curious with this question, 
you know, for, for buddies of mine. <clears throat> and it's a conversation I'll have with like, you know, Chad and those guys when we're sitting around camp or whatever, and just kind of talking about it. But you know, who are some of the, who are some of the folks early on that you were really kind of picking stuff up from when you really started kind of saying, Hey, you know, this mobile aggressive kind of game, public game is what I'm going to focus on. Like who were the, who were the people that you really kind of started, you know, learning from early on Then I would even go into like now, like who are the, who are the people that had the biggest impact on you? Sure. I, I, I think number one, um, was a guy off, uh, the Ohio sportsman forum. So this is, we'll call it 2008 ish timeframe. Um, there's a couple guys on there that, 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 uh, Oh, one was, it was, was oh, Skinner or something. I don't know. I don't know his, his name, but he would, he would talk about hunting some, some big wood stuff. And, um, he would just kind of document his adventures. And, and that guy was, was on, you know, he'd say he'd see a couple one forties and one sixties every year. And I was like, Oh my God, like right. public. And, and so he, he would, he, you know, that, that guy right there was a, was a huge asset to my learning. Um, obviously, uh, in fault, um, a lot of that free information that, that he put out on, on YouTube, um, the Hill country bucks DVDs, the old ones with, yeah. with, with, um, Oh, Jared Aridotti, um, who put those together. And, um, I actually now have his number in my phone, but, but that guy, uh, that DVD changed my life. I can remember I would, I would drive down to, to, to Dave's house, uh, on Tuesdays because that seemed to be the best day for, we didn't have a lot going on. We, we this is early twenties. That was deer and beer Tuesday. <laughs> it sounds like a good time to me, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we do, we would watch that thing on repeat and, and, you know, be drinking bush lattes and pulling up maps and, and, um, I would throw Dave's name in this list as far as guys that I was listening to because he had he had figured some of the the the, the scouting type approach out um, early. Um, I'm trying to think. Obviously, Andy May. Once he started doing a lot more podcasts, that's a guy I listened to. I I think Kenyon too. You know, yeah. he was the first whitetail podcast or the first bigger audience, right? Um you know, I always had good takeaways. Uh, he Cisco, I talked to selfishly and ask a lot of selfish questions because, uh, he, he can, I, I can dis- disclose where I am and he kind of knows the areas or whatever a little better. Cause he's, he's from my neck of the woods. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, like, like I, I think that's a, a good list of, of guys that, and obviously Cody and Andre and, and Cody in particular, because, I, I mean, he can, he's done a lot for, for, for me from, Oh, just all the time we spend together. Um, I, I, even though we're hunting inches apart in deer, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking for a 130 plus and obviously he's looking for a mega giant. Right. But, uh, it's probably, you know, you could look at it as he's looking for the top buck on, on a couple of his farms. And I'm kind of looking for a top caliber buck on the places that I'm after. Um, and, and so I can just kind of morph that into what I'm doing. Right. And, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's been something, the hunting low concept from him is something that I've taken and really run with here lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's always, I, I was interested when he and I talked about, I think it might've been at the Iowa deer classic when we were hanging out that I, we, we talked about that a little bit and that's something I always kind of did almost out of like, I don't know. I, I never felt like I needed to climb any higher than to first cover. 
like that was always kind of my approach, right? It was like, I'm just going to climb till I get cover. And then once I get cover, like I'm good. Like, why would I climb any higher? Is that kind of like your, your approach? Is that why like you hunting lower or is there a, or is there a different reason behind it? Well, I definitely think he had to talk me into it. Um, because <laughs> I, I, you know, but I, I will say for, from, from like when I was in college, I watched a lot of outdoor television in the one dorm that had a cable package with it. I'd like swipe in or whatever and watch you know, the Lee and Tiffany's, the juries. And so I was kind of tricked um, right. because what those guys were doing is nowhere near what I do to, to get on a, a higher caliber buck. And so, you know, most of those shows, you're, you know, you got two, cam- you know, you got a cameraman and a guy and a sitting edge of a food plot and they're like 25, 35 foot up. Yeah. Um, and, and, and even when I had the climber, the, the climber, you know, if you got a telephone pole tree, the, the, you set the pitch as steep as you can get it six foot off the ground and kind of chin up into them. You, you can go as high as you want for, for, um, or, or you can go really high. I, I don't know if you can go as high as you want, but you can get up there in those, right. those climbers for sure. Um, and, and even stand sticks, I was always wanting to get high, high, high. And I don't think that was really until 2018 that I felt comfortable you know, after Cody was saying, yeah, I only, I take two sticks and a couple screw ins and that's kind of my mobile setup. You know, this is, uh, uh, oh, he was running two XOP long sticks, but he said that's what he wanted. He didn't hunt high. And I thought he was crazy a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wound up killing a buck that year, two sticks and two, two steps high. And, and I was like, oh shit, it worked. Right. <laughs> um, right. You yeah. know, and, and then, and then 2019, I remember I was going for a hunt in a thicket. And I told Dave, I was like, man, I'm going to be one stick high. I'm going to shoot him, you know, five yards, uh, like whitetail drilling down the collarbone. Like there's a couple trails that converge. And he goes, you need to get back to hunting up in trees. Like you've been doing for years and killing good bucks, blah, blah, blah. Well, I went out that day and I had three bucks under, uh, under 20 yards. Uh, some of them four to six yards away from the tree. And one was like a one twenty or Nice. Um, so, so yeah, it, 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 you know, just confidence after hunting low quite a few times. Um, that's actually how I killed my buck this year was literally like three foot off the ground. So nice. Yeah. I think the lowest I ever killed one was, I think roughly 10 foot was probably the lowest I've ever, I've ever been to kill him. But I don't really ever climb much higher than that. I mean, I use two sticks and a five step climbing aider and I can probably max out at like 17 foot, you know, at, at platform height, mm-hmm. you know, but most of my sets are probably. 14 feet you know what i mean 13 feet is probably most of the time roughly where where i'm at now i'm always concealed i'm either like in the crotch of a tree or i've got a ton of back cover or whatever the case is you know i'm not gonna sit myself out there to be silhouetted or whatever but um yeah man i, I think it's interesting you said being tricked because that was the one thing like you know when you consuming hunting media especially in the, through like the 90s and maybe in the early aughts you know, it was really easy to kind of get fooled into, you know, you need this latest thing or that latest thing or whatever the case is. You know, what I love about now is that there's so much free information out there that's really accessible that, you know, I feel like less and less people are being tricked. Maybe do you feel, do you feel the same way or do you still feel there's just, I mean, I think there's still people who want to be tricked. I think there's two crowds. (laughs) I think there are those that want to be tricked because they want the easy way, right? They want the magic bullet. And then there's those that really just want to know what actually works and and to not be tricked. Do you kind of feel the same way? Yeah, I think, I think if, if somebody's wanting to, to, Oh, elevate their whitetail game, 
it's uh it's much better these days i used to think products killed deer i used to think you know uh tossing a scent bomb out there was going to bring me every 150 in the county um right you, you, you know i thought i needed to shoot this bow with this broad head yeah i definitely think now if you're a guy hunting north pa big woods you can find a web show you can find a podcast that targets that guy or if you want to hunt the the south you know mm-hmm. the, the the florida crowd the georgia crowd there are podcasts there are there are web shows there are specifically dialed in content that show just just how those guys are getting it done or, or, or you know you can listen to podcasts of guys killing good bucks in that area it's yeah. i think if you're an eager consumer it's a way better time and and the learning curve is so much faster now you see it now guys that can just kind of pick it up Right. Uh, at a lot quicker rate. Yeah, I have a buddy of mine around here, man. He actually makes me mad once in a while because he's he's um he hunt he started hunting waterfowl. His name's Wilson. I've had him on the podcast a bunch, and mm-hmm. yeah. he, he uh he started hunting like waterfowl, and then he moved to Pennsylvania because he's originally from uh Washington, and he moved here and he started deer hunting. He's only been really deer hunting for whatever it is at this point, four or five years, something like that. And he's one of those guys that is just a sponge. Like as soon as he hears like a tactic, a strategy or whatever, he will be in the woods the next three days doing it, you know, and then figuring out how it works for him. And so I'm always so amazed by his learning curve and how quickly he picks stuff up, like things that took me a couple years of doing it and screwing it up. Like he figure he picks it up in like a season. You know, and then it becomes oh. like a thing that he uses going forward and has success with it. I'm like, man, it took me like two years to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we talked about it early in this show, thermals, right? Yeah. I hunted for six, seven years in, 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 in Ohio. And some of that being hill country, didn't it? Nobody mentioned thermals. Nobody talked about thermals. I guarantee you, if, if you scrolled through a couple of the, uh, the, the Facebook forum groups tonight, you would see somebody talking about thermals. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and what would that do to your hunting clan? If you, you knew exactly, or, somebody said, Hey, grab some milkweed and, and, and use it all season to see what's going on in your timber. What that would have done for you 10 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, it would have made, a, it would have made a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like my, my brand, the white tail experience, I get a, a, a decent amount of DMs questions, stuff like that. I literally am targeting myself at 19 years old, a kid ate up with deer hunting, like cutting pictures out of field and stream of, of giant bucks, putting them all on my wall wanting to kill them, but having no idea how to do it. Right. Um, you know, we, we used to hunt this hundred acre track in a good County and we, we didn't play the wind. We, we, we literally just hunt the same eight, 10 stands every morning, every evening. And we noticed though, October 15th, we had a lot of deer. And by December one, we hardly had any deer running around the place. No rhyme or reason. That's just, you know, that, that was what I was doing. Right. And, uh, yeah, the, the information today is, is <laughs> a guy can get dangerous quick if he really wants to. <laughs> That's a great way to put it, man. A guy could get dangerous quick if he, if he really wanted to. Spe- yeah. Speaking of, you know, all that information that's out there, it's like the one thing that I think that I've seen as well, it, especially with maybe some folks that were kind of newer to the game or newer to hunting or whatever the case is, is their ability to, learn how to scout more effectively, more quickly, right? That's, I think, one of the things that I've kind of seen, especially, you know, Onyx, 
great tool. Love it. Also, the reason why I go a mile and a half, two miles back in and see someone put a tree stand up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's good in one, in one sense. Cause I love that it's getting people out and, you know, and they're finding more success and, and stuff like that, but it also makes it, you know, more challenging and you have to be a little bit more diligent whenever you're scouting because of those things. But with that in mind, you know, what does your off season scouting process process look like, especially in your home, in your home state of Ohio, how do you kind of start breaking down a piece? You know, we can even just take now, for example, we're at the end of the season, pretty much. What are the things you're going to be doing next? And what are you going to be looking for? Yeah. So if I look at my off season, I, I know with a kid and kind of my work schedule and, and what I got going on, I'm probably going to get, get a few less miles in, but so I have prioritized all the, the pieces of public that I want to touch the most. And I think another big learning point in my oh, bow hunting is uh, I, I, I think early on might have tried to stretch myself too thin mm-hmm. where I, um, I would try and be in like eight counties and, and, and really try and, you know, but, but I didn't, I didn't have those, those, those eight counties I was spending time in. I didn't have those spots super dialed. Mm-hmm. And so I, going into this off season, I've got a, a handful of places I gotta, I want to check out. I still have a few cameras to pull if I, I pray they're there, but, um, you know, I, I know I'm going to be spending time and, um, I'm going to say under six ish pieces of public, maybe a few more, but I'm not, I'm not going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when I go out for a walk, I'm a, I'm a big proponent. Like, even if you only have two hours now this weekend, you don't wait around for the weekend that you got six hours. Cause that may not come until March and, and think about all that time you could waste. Right. Um, heck you may roll your ankle in two weeks and then not be able to scout. So I am a big proponent in, in kind of just that, that cumulative effort where, um, the other day I, 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 I drove down and only scouted three hours was home by noon, but you know, it was already getting some stuff done that, that, that I wanted to do. And it, it was my highest you know priority spot to go to. Um, so I think that's, that's something that, 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 that should be noted there is right. prioritizing and, and consistently attacking. Um, that's a good point, I, yeah. I like to get up early too, when I go to these places, cause you know, sometimes you can catch some deer, you know, on the roads or, or, you know, kind of get a, a small glassing session in right before you, you hit the timber. I, I like to get up early and get, get a move on. Right. Um, I mean, that makes, sense. that makes, that makes sense, man, because how many times, you know, at this, at that time of year, it's like, you don't, you don't mind running into deer during gray light. You know what I mean? And actually mm-hmm. it's like when you're scouting, it's like might even be to your benefit to run into them, you know, during gray light or when they're almost back to bed or whatever, or you can look at the map and see, well, I met them here. Where's the next logical bedding places are likely going to, and where were they probably coming from and what, what terrain features are funneling them to, to these spots? You know, you can start yeah, to really start to backtrack some things. Yeah. Even just seeing a deer in, in the headlights crossing roads and stuff is mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, a good piece to the puzzle. Um, you know, we, I've, I've, I've noted that before and, um, keyed in on a pretty good spot, you know, because, you know, so much of, of some of the public doesn't hold white tails, you know, it, uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a double dip effect there. If you could be there right at, right at the morning and, and catch them, if you will. Right. Um, one, one thing I actually picked up from Jeff Sturgis, um, I read one of his books like a while ago that I still like think of this every day or every time I'm driving, like especially around any of the pieces that I'm hunting 
and even when even when I'm going out of state, is I, I'll look for roadkill around the public and see where deer are crossing roads and where they're getting hit because it's probably telling me that there's a reason that they're they're moving there. There's got to be some type of transition line there. There's got to be some type of hard edge. There's got to be some type of food, some type of bedding or something. There's a reason that they're crossing there. They're not doing it just because, you know, and that was one thing that I picked up from him was like, pay attention to where you're seeing roadkill and then look at the habitat around there and understand why they're actually using that spot to move. Is there a low spot there? Is there, is it pulling thermal so they can smell better? Like there's a reason why, and just figure out that reason why, and it might actually help you understanding that piece or that section of that piece. I thought that was always kind of interesting. That's solid. I'm a, I'm a Sturgis fan. I don't think I've ever heard him. Uh, 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 I'm not. Clint, you, you taught me something. This podcast is worth it now. <laughs> no, it was, uh, I read, it was, I don't know that he's ever mentioned it on a podcast or if he's ever mentioned it like on any of his videos. It was in one of his books that I read. Um, okay. And, uh, and I don't remember which book it was because I've read, I've read a couple of his books. Um, but it was, it was probably about the time I was trying to flip the switch of really trying to understand, you know, deer behavior more. Um, and someone turned me on to Sturgis and I knew they had a couple books out. And so I just started reading a bunch of his stuff. And it, that was the one thing. Cause I was like, that takes no effort. I was like, I can do that whenever I'm driving down the turnpike along a piece of public land and just start looking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I actually actively do that whenever I'm around a spot that I know that I want to hunt. If I see roadkill, I'll just, I'll take note of it. I might even stop and pull off alongside the road and, and pull up my map and look and be, and try to figure out like, okay, where was this thing coming from? Why did it get hit here? Where's it going? You know, so yeah, just a little, it's going back to that thing, man, all these guys that we know that, you know, do it on a consistent basis. They did, they leave no stone unturned, you know, and that's just kind of like yeah. another thing that I added to my, my pack of, it may never mean squat and it may be the thing that helps me kill the biggest deer I've ever, I've ever killed potentially, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I'm not, I'll take that and add it to the repertoire. I guarantee you next time I see a, <laughs> oh, a, a carcass or something like that on, uh, next to some public. I, I'm going to pull out the map and, and note it. I told I told Jeff sure. the one time I was like, I've never looked at roadkill the same since I read that. <laughs> I was like, I was like, honest to God. So, how are you? But you, I want to go back for one second because you said you know you'll start to qualify maybe six pieces like priority pieces that you want to you know prioritize so you're not wasting your time. How are you qualifying those pieces? What are you looking for in those pieces? that tell you that's something you want to check out and let's start from the point of maybe it's a new piece of public near you that you've never scouted before. What would tell you that, Hey, I want to, I want to make this one of the ones I want to look at. Yeah. I, I think, uh, uh, best is real world example. Um, I remember, uh, I think it was 2017 going into the off season. I actually went and started scouting, I think late December, January and deployed a camera and, and, and started walking. But like, you know, I looked at this piece and, and, and I don't think this is any secret. You look for stuff that's away from high population densities. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at access point. Um, if you're really good, I'm sure you can, you can dive into, to, to cover and habitat. I'm not the best e-scouter on, on, on some of that. And sometimes even the clear cuts don't show necessarily on aerials. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't spend too much time looking for, for, for necessarily cover and habitat on an aerial. Um, but, but, but I do believe some of those, oh, big ticket items, getting away from people, getting away from access that, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything new there. Right. Um, but you know, boots to ground. And, and I remember that, that off season, I added this piece and one, I pulled that, uh, that late trail cam 
And uh, we just noted a, a decent amount of two and a half year olds and one slammer. Um, but that's, you know, one slammer doesn't make or break, but we were like, Oh, decent amount of two and a half year olds and, and a decent amount of doe activity in daylight. Hmm. Um, late season. And so, you know, clearly those deer had survived the year and, um, we're very, you know, it, it was one of those things that when I would put that camera out, I, I put some boosted ground in the area and just felt like I was finding a lot of buck sign and, and a lot of deer sign in general. So, so it wasn't necessarily one to two things, but, uh, I picked it out, you know, on, on those parameters, the, the trail cams really showed. And then obviously the boost to ground, um, helped a ton, but, but, you know, I, as far as a new piece of public, I, I, I would think something that I, I do prioritize is time. I do have some weekday spots where I can't get to as much. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes that hunting's not as good. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with driving a touch farther on weekends. I'm okay with getting up, you know, half an hour earlier to, to get to some of those pieces. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's something I do probably a little better, um, is, is, is doing what's hard. Right. Um, because you, you, like you, you, we talked about the guys that, that want it, uh, Johnny Stewart, dude, he, he's driving back from Iowa right now. I talked to him the other day. Yeah. I mean, he'll talk about, you know, I was like, man, how long you got? He goes, ah, we got eight hours left, but that's not that bad. You know, it's just, he's like, I wanted to come out here and find a good one. And, 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 you know, it's just, it's yeah. part of the process. How bad do you want it? Yep, exactly. That's the one thing, man. You can always, you can control your effort, right? Whatever, whatever it is, hunting or not hunting. That's the one thing you always have control over is how much you want to put into it. You know, and that's the, that's the thing. The whole public game, land game is not easy. You know, and it's not for everyone necessarily. It, it it is harder, right? It's like I've had family farms, and sure, it was easier going and having presets and stuff like that. And um, mm-hmm. but but also the other part that was kind of restrictive was if the deer that I wanted to kill or the type of experience I wanted to have wasn't there, then I just didn't have the opportunity to have it. And that was really for me why I started kind of branching out and going and exploring. You know public you know more specifically because i was like i can just roam and if there's right deer isn't here then i'm off to the next piece and i'm okay with that you know i'll just go find one um and so that's kind of how i've always kind of looked at it too it's like if you're willing to put the work in and and put the the boots to the ground and the miles and you know you'll eventually find success over time you know it might take a little bit of time but you'll you'll narrow down your process and you'll and you'll um and you'll figure it out and i'm similar to you man where i'll do plenty of e-scouting but in, and I'll, I'll kind of highlight some areas I want to hit and I'll kind of cross off the obvious areas like you stated that I'm just not even going to pay attention to. Um, you know, the one thing I'll look for specifically is just like, can I find like specific edges and I'll always start, like if I don't have anywhere else to start, I'll start there. Right. Cause we know the deer like to travel edges and just make the, make the scouting mm-hmm. easier on yourself or give your, give yourself like a starting point. The big transition for me, man, was moving you know, living around Philadelphia where it's a lot of flat stuff. Cause I'd never really hunted swamp before growing up. And that's a lot of what is around here. A lot of small bodies of water and swampy kind of, you know, small parcels in between housing developments and stuff like that. And so that was all brand new to me because I was more used to Western PA where I grew up, where it was all ridges and, you know, hill country, essentially, um, you know, probably more similar to what, you know, you know, out, out your way. And, living here was definitely a curveball. And when I decided just to kind of go all in on the public around here, it was definitely a curveball and it took me some time to try to figure out how to even scout it if I'm being honest, you know? And so that's kind of, 
I just start where there's edges and, and, and go from there and work my way from that point forward. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I have no experience in the swamp game and, and yeah, I, I definitely would get turned inside out. It'd be start starting from zero, essentially, you mm-hmm. know, if you put me in that kind of habitat, I, I understand the process, but think of all the, all the experience you have now, um, after a couple of seasons of diving in uh, on that stuff. And it, I got to believe it, it's like, like we talked about a lot on this comes with experience. It comes with the, the, the year round approach. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, there's no substitute for experience, but, but I'll tell you the one thing that I learned, man, and I'd be curious to see if you've had a similar experience. Two things that have helped me well, might be more than two. I might have more bullet points <laughs> like you had earlier, okay? but it was what I've started noticing. And I didn't notice it until this past trip when I was in Missouri. And I think I was talking to Chad about it. And I said, you know, I was like, you know, what's crazy, man, is that I'm starting to see things now whenever I'm on a new piece or in an area that I've not been before that I've now hunted enough like different states and different terrain and stuff like that, that I've now built up like, um, analogs where I don't remember what spot it was in, in Missouri, but we, we settled into the spot where we were scouting through and I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, this looks exactly like that one thing that I hunted four years ago at X, Y, and Z piece of public. And it almost lays out exactly the same. You know what I mean? Like I almost take mental pictures of things that I see. And then when I see it again, I recognize it and, and it almost feels like it hunts the same way. Do you ever have those types of experiences? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely take, take all mental notes or, or, or if a piece lays out similar to, or, or maybe some habitat converges that, that remind me of a, of a location on a different piece. It could even be the same state to state Ohio, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I definitely will take note, um, and key in on, 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 you know, what, what my scouting, what my, my experience has, you know, if I, if I seem to, to, to find bucks or, or deer in general doing X because of, you know, those things in, in one piece and applying it to another for sure. That is, that is definitely, um, the, the piece I hunted in Kentucky looks, Oh, looks similar to, to, to something I hunt in Ohio. And, uh, that's that it's a little bit different approach than some of the other pieces I hunt. I, I, I spend, I would say 60% of my time, more of a big woods, big forest stuff. And then 40% mm-hmm. of the time and more of a, a farm country ish setting. Right. Right. I think the one thing that I've found too, in, in this specific instance was I'm trying to figure out how to say it, but almost, almost like micro habitats where there might be a section of the swamp that I've hunted that looks almost like this section of hill country that I'm hunting just like the specific spot, you know what I mean? Like that's, mm-hmm. I've had like those weird experiences where I've started seeing something in a swamp where I've hunted before, but that little 20 acre area where I know that there's a deer, it, it reminds me so much of this one 10 acre area in hill country where it almost lays out the same, you know what I mean? Where it's like, it might be on top of a ridge. So it feels very flat. Like the swampland would feel, you know what I mean? Or something, something along those lines where there's a small little rise in a dip where there's the thermals are pulling or whatever the case is. And I'm having that experience in a swamp, you know, because it's all flat and you might just get a little dip and that might be it, you know? And so it's little things like that. And so that to me is like the, I don't know, it's like, now I'm getting all geeked out. Cause it's like, it starts to turn into 4d chess and it's like, now I'm going through like my mental Rolodex, you know, of like, okay, what did I have? Have I seen this before? How did it play out before? And that to me is like when I start to get excited 
because um, then I really feel like I'm kind of, I really feel at that point that I'm kind of in the game, you know what I mean? Cause now I'm, I've heard you reference the spidey sense. Is that like when you're sitting there on the ground before you, you pick the tree, is that what you're getting? Because, yeah. Oh, I've seen this work X, Y, and Z. I'm currently yeah. reading the sign in front of me. I almost get, you know, I, I almost get deja vu where I almost feel sure. like I've been there before. You know what I mean? Now I'm getting all like, <laughs> getting all like chakras <laughs> i'm gonna get i'm gonna get out like the the crystals and stuff like that but no i almost have like deja vu where it's like where i feel like i've seen it before because i hunted something so maybe in like a swamp and it might be as different as like swamp and big woods of that much of a difference between each other in terms of terrain and features but it might be this one little area where it just is so reminiscent of what i'm looking at at the moment that i just i know how to hunt that spot now you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like, and it will be like a little bit of a spidey sense kind of moment where I almost feel like I've been there before, which is really kind of weird. But anyway, <laughs> before I get out any more hippy dippy, we'll move on to the next thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so you mentioned trail cameras a couple of times, man. And I'm just curious, I'm always interested to see how, you know, guys are using cameras and what their approach is, whether it's in season, out of season and during the different times of year and how they're using them and when they're moving them and stuff like that and what they're, picking up from them so you know how are you using trail cameras at different times of the uh, different times of the season and the different places that you're hunting sure and i think i should preface this that you know i've only ran trail cams hard i feel like for maybe two years and what i mean by hard i'm talking about you know an army of of 15 and made them a higher priority right um i would say prior to that you know if i look at oh uh after college i probably owned anywhere between three to five cameras now now I'm, oh shit, I probably have 20 and I hunt, you know, public with a few other guys. So we got, we got an arsenal, probably a upper of 30 cameras, uh, right. we'll call it spread across several pieces. But, you know, I, I, it, I generally have roughly eight to 10 cameras on some of my bigger pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm not the most knowledgeable, um, but what I am seeing as far as like what, how I use them, I'm, I'm not so much hung up on, on some of the summer information that, mm-hmm. that they can portray. I will say that in some of my, oh, bigger woods habitat, if it's, if it's diverse enough, I find sheds will get summer trail cam picks and that deer will be there in the fall. Mm-hmm. I've, I've found that quite, quite a few times on, on a couple pieces where the habitat allows for it. Some of the other pieces, I think those deer move or, or migrate. Um, but you know, I, I get, I would say I get a, a decent amount out of them. Um, the initial poke around a new piece, they can let you know the caliber that's there, you know, scrapes, good trails, stuff like that. Um, in fact, I think that's, uh, that's how I found my 2017 buck. He was a two and a half year old, I believe, or uh, yeah, he was a two and a half year old, but he had survived. And so that picture was late in the year. Um, that trail cam revealed a decent amount of hundred inches and, and, and one mega. And so I was like, you know, you got that many hundred inches. There's, there's bound to be some, you know, at that time I'm kind of looking for a 130 plus. Right. Um, and so they can, they can do exploratory work for you. Um, kind of a traditional right now I'm, I'm kind of big on, you know, deploying them in season and from everything I gathered in the last two years, um, the Great game in the big woods mm-hmm. has been a learning point for me as far as a daylight movement and 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 what those bucks are 
doing um, from the 15th of October to, to mid-November. It just, I was shocked at how much I've learned in the last two years yeah. running those cameras on, on, on scrapes. Um, what, what also, t- dude, I, Go ahead. I, 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 I only had, I think going into season, I was running 18 cameras. Mm-hmm. And I think I only had two bucks, one thirty plus. Hmm. Once season got rolling, I found quite a uh, quite a few more of that, uh, and not quite a few more, just a few more. But it was it sometimes it's shocking at how many. Oh, I can find a decent amount of Pope and Youngest, but to, to find the one thirty pluses, I got to do a lot more digging. It seems right, right. I'm curious, man. In, in the big woods, are you finding? My experience has been, and I'm just curious if if you've had a similar experience, that a lot of the traveling that I'm that I'm seeing, and this comes from, you know, uh, my buddy Chad, you know, owns mm-hmm. Exodus Outdoor Gear. We ton of cameras we have in, in, in the big woods, and and I've learned this from him, and then I've observed it, um, is that we see a lot of deer, not necessarily using like the primary terrain features, but using more you know, benches and stuff like that to where, so what I mean by that is when you look at a map, you know, or most people will look at a map and they'll see a saddle and they'll be like, man, that's gotta be funneling deer, right? Like it's a saddle. It's between point A and point B, potentially deer are hitting it. We'll hang a camera in a saddle with a scrape and get a handful of pictures maybe. Right. And usually Mm -hmm. not anything of, 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 of size or of maturity. We find a, a scrape on a bench and it'll blow your mind. And it'll just be packed full of deer. And it's, we've, we've found a few places like that where we get consistent daylight activity and daylight movement of bucks of all age structure and, and caliber hitting these specific scrapes that are around benches versus ones that you would think would be in high traffic areas of, of saddles. Have you kind of seen something similar? Yeah, I'll say two things there. One, I'm not a huge saddle guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, you know, saddles are cool, but like, I've never seen a ton of deer. I've never seen, I don't think a lot of big bucks use saddles. Mm -hmm. I I have my best success on like when I can combine features Mm -hmm. where, where maybe I've got a hogback or like a hogback. Some people call them different things, but like you got a big ridge and then there's like an erosion cut that, that, that kind of gives out maybe halfway up or maybe a third the way up or maybe two thirds the way up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the tops of those. I like little, like, like you said, um, little benches with military crests. Um, I, I, like you said, but I need two or three things. I feel like for me to want to hunt that area where I've got a slight hog back with maybe some better habitats mm-hmm. and, you know, a point nearby, you know, I like three or four things. And, 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 and generally one of those has got to be habitat, whether it be, uh, cover, um, uh, age structure. I like cuts. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, like I need three or I, I, I like to have two, three, two to three things, combining features yeah. for a scrape to be good. Um, for, for me to hunt it or, or throw a camera on it. Cause like you said, I saddles, man, I, 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 you can take those away from my arsenal. I'm not terribly concerned with them. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things too, is because they're so obvious if you're hunting a place that does have any type of significant pressure, that's the first place people are going to go. Right. I've yeah, never, you, I've never found a really defined saddle on a map and walked to it and, and didn't see a tree stand already there. 
Yeah, or the very best pinch on a on a big ridge system. I, I feel like some of them are almost like the little, the second and third little cuts or points that that pinch stuff down. That's not as obvious on a on a map that maybe maybe you can just see a slight bump, but until you put boots to the ground, you realize that it does actually funnel some, some good deer movement. Right. Now, what about out of state, man? Are you using cameras any different out of state, or do you just not even rely on them whenever you're when you're hunting somewhere else? Yeah, I uh, during. Like like right now, I've got some cams deployed um, in Kentucky, but but I do I have any in Illinois? I don't I don't have any in Illinois, and and like when I when I punched my Ohio tag and was starting to hunt out of state this year, it was just like nah, I'm looking for a 120 ish to 130 ish. I'm not terribly concerned. I'll I'll just rely on my in season scouting to right and, and and my current hunting to figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, I would I would definitely use them, deploy them if I had four or five at the house. I, right. I, sh- I should start using them more. Maybe that's a weak point. Right. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't rely on them. I mean, I didn't rely on them at all in Missouri this year. Cause you can't, <clears throat> you can't use them yeah. on MDC ground. Um, so didn't use them at all, but I have used them, you know, whether I was in Ohio or Iowa or whatever the case is. And what I started doing more so than anything was, um, using a cell camera, putting it on a scrape not because I'm going to hunt that scrape because I just want to know if, if that area is still active or not. And it helped me cut down on burning hunts and burning scout scouting time in an area that just, especially during the rut, and this would be more specifically for the rut. Um, mm-hmm. that way I'm not spending time scouting or hunting an area where the does have gone cold or it's, or they're in lockdown or whatever the case is, or the scrapes have gone cold in that area. It just was more of a tool to tell me that, okay, I can not pay attention to this section. I could probably, I need to prioritize some other areas that's really kind of how I've used them out of state. Yeah. And, and my thing too, like with a trail cam pick is kind of, I don't know, not talked about enough. I know you're kind of a, Oh, a, a, a positive mindset or, or how does, how does the mental side really affect your bow hunting? Did you get a picture of some good bucks or one good buck? Mm-hmm. Like that's like motivation. That's oh, yeah. like, you know, s- sparks the fire to keep hunting hard to, to maybe you, you know, you hunt those farther back spots or you, you get up 10, 15 minutes earlier to, to get into the woods um, because there's, there's proof of life that a good one's there. It, right. Even if it's not the buck, you, you know, you're not going to kill maybe that necessarily buck, but oh, this piece has some good bucks. Like I'm fired up. Like that yeah. does a lot. Oh, it totally does, man. There was one spot that I hunted specifically this year with two spots that I had this year that I had earlier in the year. I had really good deer, especially for PA on camera. Um, and the one just kind of disappeared and I could never relocate him. I spent, time all over that piece you know a couple different times trying to locate him and just couldn't find any of his sign like nothing no tracks like it was just he disappeared and then there Mm -hmm. was another piece that i had that i had some good deer on that i knew of in the summer and then i just hadn't seen them in a while and i had there was a big deer that i found in a a bean field that i glassed up and i ended up doing some really late summer scouting because i found him super late and it was one of those really aggressive type of moments where i knew he was probably going to transition because my season comes in around september 19th and i knew he was going to transition soon after that if he hadn't already transitioned when the season opened so i needed to make hay early if i was going to try to kill him and he was a hammer and i ended up scouting like the week before the season opened and i bumped him out of his bed so i knew he was around and that was just like proof of life awesome and then i couldn't find him but then i had this the cell camera that ended up showing me just like two other hammer deer that i thought that i might have had earlier in the year but before they were fully developed in velvet. So I couldn't really tell how, you know, how old they were, or how big they were potentially going to be. 
And when oh, I, I'm terrible, Velvet Judger. Yeah, yeah. And so when I saw him hit that scrape, like what was it, October fifteenth, eighteenth, something like that, I was like, get out of here. And this is a pain in the ass place to get to where I have to kayak in. I got to load up the boat, like, especially in the morning. It's just that much more time, you know. And mm-hmm. being, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know how many times I would have hunted that general area had I not had that picture, just because of how much of a pain in the ass it was going to be to get in and out. But yeah. having that picture just gave me the fuel, you know, fueled the fire of there's always a chance whenever I'm in there that he's there, you know. And so mm-hmm. I put the time in and we don't have to relive that those specific hunts. But I ended up having one of the shooters come by and, and just I botched the botched the opportunity and he walked. So but yeah, man, trail cameras, I'm, I'm a believer in them. I try not to rely on them as a crutch. I think a lot of folks can do that and it can hurt your hunt. Um, but if mm-hmm. you use it as a tool, as it's intended, then I think it can be, I think it can be gold and give you a ton of information. Yeah. And I've heard, a, a mutual friend, Josh Prophet talk mm-hmm. about when he's out there checking a the trail cam, well, what is he doing the whole time he's walking out there? He's looking for tracks. He's looking Scout. for big rubs. Yep. Um, so, so, so when I, I've talked to him on a, a few phone calls, just asking personal questions, cause like I said, rewind time two years ago, I was like, man. I think trail cams are, are a hole in my game. And, and so that was a, that was a good guy to call if you will. Yeah. And, and we talked about that and he's like, yeah, when I'm checking three or four cams, think about it. I got in two miles of scouting. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're walking by stuff, browsed on, you're checking for tracks, new scrapes. I mean, it, yeah. it, to me that, that, that's a, a good combo to, to think about when, when you're doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Man, since we're on the topic of gear, I know you and I both like gear. I know we both like DIYing things and, and, and things like that. Um, so I'm always curious, especially as, as fellow and brother DIYers and, and gear freaks, <laughs> what are your, your must haves in the timber with you? What are some of your like favorite pieces of gear that you must have? Ooh, okay. Yeah, no, this is, um, always, this is always tough for us gearheads, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the the videographer in me the the filming hunts thing i i love the the pocket arm for its packability and its uh one and done setup that has changed my uh oh it's been a good ad for a pain in the ass factor of of, of solo filming right the i'm trying to think of of other gear items that are must have um I, I really like my, uh, I did a video on this. Uh, if it's a rut hunt, um, obviously if you got whatever layer system, but, but I am, uh, I am an athletic boot guy. And so I, uh, I actually cover my toes with it, with an external sock. Um, and that has, has allowed me to stay in the, in the timber much longer. Those, those have got to be in there for late season hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, Neck gaiters are key. I, you lose a lot of heat through your neck that people don't really realize. Yep. Um, and that's like a weak spot of mine. Uh, what other gear item do I gotta, gotta have uh, in the mobile game? I gotta have some sort of aider. I, I yep. some sort of climbing aider or, or, or movable aid or whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm toying with the idea of going back to a, 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 some sort of climbable aider. Um, I love the cable aiders ran those this year, but, um, what your video, um, oh, the G2 outdoorsman Parker, some of these guys are, 
are going just three sticks because it's kind of nice to put one stick on a tree and have one on each hip. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're just maximizing that, that climbing effort, um, with a movable style aider. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm debating on going back to that. Um, so, so, so those are just a few of the not like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend my, my custom gear setup isn't rockstar awesome, but those are a couple other sidebar items that maybe the audience wouldn't, wouldn't think about as much. Right. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, your, your, your stand or your saddle or whatever is obvious, right? That those are the, mu- mm-hmm. the must haves. It's interesting. You mentioned the pocket arm cause I'm literally, mine literally came in the mail today. I'm literally holding it as we're talking and looking at it. Okay. I am a. I'm a person who attempts to self-film every year, and then by about the fifth or sixth hunt, I get pissed off, and I stop taking the camera. <laughs> it's, hap- it's happened every year for, like, the past couple of years, and part of it was is what you were saying. It's like I never had, like, a good solution for actually getting set up in the tree. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to get a pocket arm because I feel like that's small enough, light enough that I'll actually take it with me, and it's less cumbersome. Everything's, in, like, contained. I don't have to set up a bunch of stuff. And that will then entice me to go ahead and continue to take the camera into the woods. So that's one thing that'll be going with me this year. Um, I'm actually changing. I shouldn't say I'm changing. I'm toying with the idea and have built a single stick system. And that's something I might end up completely changing to. I've done a couple like solo or not solo, but a couple practice climbs just to kind of get familiar with it, get used to it and see how I like it and stuff like that. And I'm telling you what, man, it's, it's not hard. It's, I, I put forth just as much effort with effort with my two stick system with a five step climbingator as I do with this. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I like about it most is when I'm done hunting, I pack everything in my pack and I repel out, man, I am out of the tree in like two seconds flat and packed up and ready to roll because my biggest, that, okay. my biggest fear is this. I'm not scared of heights, but I'm always a little concerned in the evening whenever I'm when I'm climbing out and I can't see, I'm just being honest, right? It's like, I'm not a tough Mm -hmm. guy trying to pretend like I don't have like concerns or whatever. And it's not like I'm scared, but it's it, but it's always, that's the time when I feel like if I'm going to have an accident, you know, that's when it's going to happen. And so for me being able to repel out, not having to climb, always being connected, it kind of removes that factor away. And I'm like, zip Batman out of the tree and I'm good to go packed up and out. So, so let me ask this because I, I have, uh, I've heard uh, Garrett Peral on one of his recent podcasts say, you know, he messes with the one stick, and he always, he, he just seems to always come back to, to some sort of three stick method or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Would you ever like? I can see where the one stick is is awesome for for everything you just listed, but what if you're setting up sixty yards from a bedding area? I just would feel like the extra movement. Mm-hmm. The, the pretend, it may not be extra noise. You would know more than I, but mm-hmm. the extra movement alone um, scares me if, with, with that method where I really, I actually have watched your, your video two, two times oh, this off season or later half of the season when I was, I went back to running just two long sticks mm-hmm. um, because I, like I said, I'm toying with the idea of going back to a movable aider for, for next year. Right. Yeah. Would I, you ever consider one hunt going single stick and one and then the next hunt if you're getting close maybe bringing your two stick method? Yeah, I could see that I'll have a place in in my arsenal for both for sure. Um I would envision that my one stick would probably be more um definitely out of state hunts when I don't know exactly where I might end up. If I know I have a specific location I'm trying to get to, I would probably 
take the sticks for that because I know exactly where I'm going. I know what tree I'm probably going to get into and I, I know what I need type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. That would probably be the scenario. I think maybe, yeah, there's a, there's, there's more movement involved. I, I think some of it too, cause I watched Garrett's video and I saw, you know, and I saw where he mentioned, you know, in his video that he, he does use the one stick, but he still f- falls back to two or three sticks with some aiders or whatever. I think some of it's just comfortability, you know, because I know Carl Casus, like he basically just climbs with a one stick all the time. You know, that's his that's his method of of climbing okay. wholesale. Um, you know, and there's plenty of guys out there that are doing just completely SRT and one sticking, and that's and that's it. Um, I think it's like anything, man. I I think you know you have plenty of people out there that be that'll say, you know, I can't believe you hunting in a saddle because how do you stay still whenever you're in a saddle whenever you're hunting close to a bet? You know, I mean, if you want to be still and you want to be smooth and you want to be quiet, it's like anything else. You know, just take your time. Same thing with setting up a stand, right? I mean, <clears throat> plenty of people be like, oh, why would you try to set up a stand close to a bed? You got to do all that moving and to set up a stand or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, the reality is, is if you do it enough and you have a system down, you can make it really, really quiet and you can make it really, really smooth. And I think it's the same with one sticking. Okay. Okay. But, you know, I, I've, I've done a couple, you know, trial climbs, so I'm not an expert at it. We'll see. The proof will be in the pudding. You know, I'll do some hunts this year, you know, and, and, and suss it out. But that's kind of my thought process, at least. Right. And obviously with you being like kind of a, a you talked to this year about wanting to improve that ground game, do more ground hunting. With one stick, yep. you know, you may you may not feel like, oh, I have to get in a tree. Mm, there's there's a lot of that to it, man. I'm not gonna lie. Um, yeah. You know, there's part of it is is just I don't like to carry stuff. I'm not a big guy. You know, I'm only like five nine. Um, and people will always say, well, instead of shaving pounds, you know, or, or weight on your gear, why don't you just lift more weights? I'm like, man, I work out every morning. Like I'm good to go. Like I'm in shape. It's not about the weight. I can carry whatever weight I need to carry. It's more about the bulk and the profile. I'm not a big dude, so me carrying a bunch of stuff, it's really cumbersome for me just because of my, my body size, right? And so the mm-hmm. least, the less stuff I need to carry, the better, the more inclined I'll be to get down and move because I have less stuff to pack up. If I see something happen 60 yards from me and I need to make a move and all I need to do is zip out of the tree and move, then I'm doing it. But if I got to tear a bunch of stuff down, then I kind of think twice about, mm, and I'm just being honest with my own personal psychology, right? Like, you know, I shouldn't be lazy about it and I should just make the move regardless, but that would be un untrue. I'm thinking about all the things I need to do to make that move, you know? Um, and so the ground game also, the less stuff I'm carrying, the more inclined I'll be to just, if the ground game is what it, where it's at, then, then that's where it's at. I don't have a bunch of stuff with me. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe that, maybe that let's get a little hippie here. Maybe you're, your like your hunter skills way back in the caveman days is more for the ground game, you know? Right. Yeah. It, it, so, 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 so maybe Clint's, uh, Clint's perfect percentage over a course of a deer season is a little more percentage on the, on the ground game attack. And that, that single stick puts a, a few more percentage points because you're, you're not afraid to be on the ground a little more. I, I would be lying if I said there wasn't some truth to that. You know, there's definitely, yeah. there's definitely some truth to that where it's, you know, there's certain setups where it's like, I've definitely set up in a tree because I had the stuff with me as opposed to just staying mm-hmm. on the ground. Um, and truthfully, if I were on the ground and I needed to move, I just would move the 60 yards I need to move, you know? Um, so there's definitely some of that, but a lot of it's driven by the fact that I do a lot of out of state hunting and I don't know what tree I'm going to be in. And sometimes 
I need to be higher than I was, you know, than, than the gear I have will allow me to get, you know, and sure. Um, and so that I've run into that a couple of times or this year I got into this one tree that was just, it just sucked. Like there was just so many branches and stuff. And like the place I needed to get to, it was clear, but I had so much crap to try to climb through and set sticks in between, like on my way through it, it was miserable. And I was like, man, if I just had a one, one stick, I would have just used all the branches to climb what I needed to climb. And then one stick where it was clean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. Yeah. Cause on the way out, it didn't matter. I could just rappel out, but I needed the sticks to get down, you know? So, mm-hmm. but anyway, man, so before we get going, dude, I know I've kept you here for a little while. I want to hear, I, I would like for you, if you still have time to walk me through your hunt from this year, man, because you had a little bit of a, you had, you had a challenge, right? Had to kind of dust yourself off and then come back with a vengeance. So I'd love to hear about that hunt. If you have some time. So I think, I think you mean my, my 2019 season. Was it your 2019 season? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I missed a buck in the, uh, uh, yeah, I can paint that picture. That was, that, that was definitely the the redemption second chance buck. Right. Um, yeah. I yeah, want to hear so, about that one. Cause I was watching that video the other day. Cause that was okay, on video, yeah, right? I, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't put out my 2020 film yet. I'm literally just starting to build that one, but okay. yeah. So, so, so 2019, um, big woods habitat. Um, I'm hunting a, a deer. I have his match set off of and November 2nd, coldest day of the year so far. A lot of big bucks actually died that day across the, the, mm. the Midwest. Uh, but, uh, literally 30 minutes into daylight, here comes a, a pretty good buck. Uh, definitely the biggest buck, uh, I had seen in a while comes in, he sticks his head in a, a scrape, uh, angling towards me ish. And after he gets done with the scrape, he takes two steps. Like he's going to come to like 16 yards, like no brainer slam dunk. <laughs> and then he makes a hard right and goes down a trail at 28 yards. And I have a bunch of beech trees to my left. Like the, like the window is closing. And, and unfortunately I, uh, I didn't stop him. I think that was maybe a mistake there. And I, I, I missed this deer low. Um, I thought I actually hit him just based on how he reacted. Cause he ran about 15 yards and stopped and stared and kind of like, I don't know if he flicked his leg or he, he, I definitely remember he, he, I thought I'd hit him. And so I actually ended up trying to hit him with a second arrow that, that did connect. Um, Anyways, we back out, uh, review footage. My buddy Dave comes down. We do the whole leaving for eight, eight hours and, and, and do a little blood trailing with no good results there. And that's November 2nd. I come back the next day, November 3rd, which, you know, that's a, that's a good day to be in the woods hunting deer. And I do my due diligence to make sure the, the buzzards aren't out there. I grid search a few areas. Um, no luck there. Uh, at this point, I'm a little defeated. Actually, a lot of it defeated because... <laughs> You only get so many opportunities at, at a shooter. Right. Um, don't care who you are. It's just, it's, it's not a high likelihood for, for me to get a lot of opportunities in a season at a shooter. Um, so, so I, I, I have to go to work because I'm an accountant for the first couple of days of November. And that's just eating me alive, not getting out, you know, getting back yeah. in the saddle, if you will, because. Um, I've heard so many people talk about the best thing you can do after a miss is, is get back out there and either, even just shoot a doe, but, right. um, I couldn't even get back out and bow hunt, let alone, you know, create an opportunity, um, end up 
going through all my vacation days of the rut. Um, I think that was like eight ish days in a row. Um, I am sitting there freezing my, my nuts off. It's like 20 degrees for the high that day. And at, at noon, I see a good buck come on this ridge system. I'm sitting in a pinch. Mm-hmm. I have good buck tracks actually in the snow. The snow was only 24 hours old. And, uh, you know, I got good rubs on the tree. He's at like 80 ish yards. I'm like, he's coming. This is the best pinch in the area. He like this deer is coming. I'm getting a shot. Uh, he ends up working to about 60 and then goes like this odd trail system around this down log and up and over. And I'm like, okay, that was odd. Um, sit the rest of the day. Don't see any more deer. I go in there the next day. And what I told myself, I was going to kind of loop in there. So a, a little different, just based on where he came from. I, I thought, well, let me not try and bump him. I'm going to access a little different. And I saw the log that he like went below. He went below like a fallen log on this, this hillside. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to come up that pinch or I'm going to come up this like bluffy edge and I should be right by that down log. And sure enough, I, I picked my headlamp up in the dark and I've got, you know, that down log, uh, there was actually a tack in the tree that I decided to hunt. And I, I said, that was a good sign because somebody back in the nineties or 2000 said, this was a good tree to be in. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I think that's a sign. Right. Um, so, so I climb up there. And I see a small buck, a couple does, and I actually had a solo doe come back through, hit two scrapes, hmm. and work away from me. And at 9.30-ish, I turn around, and I just see a frame. Hmm. And I'm like, that's got to be him. And I just I throw the camera to the, the, the down log area where he pinched through the day before. And uh, he comes through, and right about as he catches my boot track, he kind of hunches, and the arrow is, is in route at this point. Nice. Um, chop felt good. Uh, it sounded good. Kind of like that poppy noise that, that mm-hmm. generally means uh, you, you did what you should. He jumps a crack, runs about 80 yards, pauses. And I'm like, he's falling. He's got to fall. And then he trots off down the hill out of sight. And I'm like, oh no, this can't happen again. I can't miss two deer. Right. I remember year. when I was watching this and I thought the same thing. Cause like I saw, like, I mean, the first shot looked great. Or the shot looked great, right? And I was like, oh, that deer's going down. And when he stopped, I was like, oh, he's going to do the wobble and fall over. This is going to be great, great footage. I was thinking for you, I was like, it's going to be awesome footage. You're going to watch him fall. And then I saw him trot off. And I was like, I thought the same thing. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, how does that deer still standing? Well, did you see he jumped that like ravine, like yeah. erosion crack right there of like, I mean, this is like, yeah, I don't know how he climbed back up. And I well, like, I thought for sure when he landed a lot of energy. Well, that's what I thought. And I was like, just waiting to see like him basically hit the other side and just crumple. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I expect whenever he was getting ready to jump. And I was like, oh, he's just going to hit the other side and just eat it. And that's going to be it. And then he, I was like, get out of here. Yeah. So, so I did not feel great at this point. And this is a a place I don't have cell signal. So that kind of, you know, mentally you're just stuck there with your own thoughts. Um, I, I climbed down, you know, breakdown process takes about 20 minutes. So, so I sit in the tree for about half hour breakdown. So it's an hour after the, uh, the shot. Um, and we had snow on the ground that morning ish. It was, it, and, and so I, I, I didn't have the best blood for about 70 yards. Um, and then it, it, it started getting better. And, uh, I get to where in the film, he kind of, you lose sight of him mm-hmm. and it's a downhill. And I walk about 30, 40 yards and I can see a deer down at the bottom. I glass it and make sure. And, and by the time I get down there, 
Um, well, I should back up too because after I shot the deer, I kind of second guessed. Did I just shoot a 110 inch eight point, or did I shoot the big buck I'd seen the day before? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Because I really, I literally thought, man, did I just shoot a 110 eight? Because I'd passed two or three of those this year or that year, right? And I was like, no, that was the big buck from the day before the the bladed G two, and and you know, then I get I, I do walk up on him, and it is the bladed G two, and I at that point, dude, I just let loose, man. Dude, yeah, you lost that's your mind. What it's I all about. It. <laughs> I loved it, dude. You <laughs> you get so excited. I was it, I I was watching the the video, and I was getting excited for you. Even though I wasn't there, I didn't know the story. Oh, I mean, I watched the video, so I knew kind of the story. But yeah. right, but you were you were jacked up, man. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. That I. So I ended up shooting that deer actually about two hundredish yards, maybe a hundred, somewhere around a hundred, two hundred yards from where I missed the the other buck. Right. That area was just hot that year. But yeah, it was. What was it you know, about that spot? What, what was the, uh, what was the reason, you know, or the, the, the rationale for the setup? Like what was, what, what, what led you there? Um, so I had a match set off a, a buck not seen in that video. Mm-hmm. Um, that buck scored with roughly a 17 inch spread the year before 138. And so he was back in there year two. I call, I called this deer apple picker who I was chasing because I took my wife apple picking the day he daylighted, mm. um, that same year. So, so he, he, that's his name. Uh, I don't think he's alive anymore, but he, you know, he could have been fifties. Right. Um, okay. he was definitely high forties and that's who I was in there after it. Yeah, the, the the that area was hot hot that year. It, it has some good stuff going on. I think uh, there's 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 an early cut. There's some some tough access. Um, there you go. Early, how old's that cut? It's it's under five. No, oh, yeah, there you go. That's awesome. That's yeah, but it's oh, it's I I think it's in the sweet spot. I right. I, I don't want to. As crazy as it sound, Clint, I, I, I don't want to say much more, but there's two other things in that area that it's got going for it. Gotcha. Um, but, but we get, a we get a lot of pressure now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, say no, say no more, are, my friend. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, no, the, the, you laugh, man. There, there was a guy this year that recognized a dead cedar behind Dave in one of our uh, videos. Oh no, I, um, I hear you, man. He, they, they, he goes literally, I, I hunt that same tree right yeah no, it's um, yeah so, so so there are two or three other things in there but i think it's it's got a good mix of habitat um i think it's got some good mix on the private from what i can see from the lines right and uh access is is, is difficult uh um, well not difficult but it's uphill and 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 where i was 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 up down and back up again so so once you put two hills between you and a road that that tends to help yeah for sure man well, that was a killer, killer buck, man. I won't ask you about this year's, um, cause we'll wait for the, for that film to come mm. out and maybe we'll just have to do a part two of this and do another, do another chat if you're game and we'll talk about that hunt. Sound good? Oh yeah, man. Like Clint, I, I, I put you, uh, I did a YouTube video of top, top kind of public land DIY crowds. I really feel like you, you, you hit your stride here in the last couple of years of catering to, to a similar crowd at the white tail experience, uh, of target. So, so man, I, I like what you're doing and, and keep it up, man. Appreciate it, man. And I appreciate you coming on, dude. I feel like, I feel like we got to do a scout or something together. One of these days, I feel like public land brothers need to kind of stick together and we need to spend some time together. So we'll try to make that happen here at some point, one of these off seasons, but before I let you go, man, let people out there that are listening, know where they can find out more about you and where they can find out more about the whitetail experience. 
Yeah, yeah. I would just uh, look us up on YouTube. I, I try to put out a variety of videos there uh, related to, to, to buck films, to public land hunting, maybe like little tip mobile hunting stuff. Uh, that's definitely there. And then obviously the general social platforms, uh, Instagram and, and, and Facebook, uh, the whitetail experience there. Um, that's, that's about it. Oh, oh, we do have a very small podcast, but it's, uh, it's USB mic recorded and, and we just <laughs> very focused on, on, on kind of our target consumer, but, uh, that's out there too. If, if you're a podcast listener. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Everyone out there listening, be sure to give these guys a check. Check them out on YouTube. Give them a subscribe. Check out their videos. Check out their podcast. Man, I will be talking to you soon, brother. Good luck in all your uh, all your off-season scouting, and uh, enjoy that, uh, that new family, brother. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell. While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.